I'm sure most of you have realized there's no secret formula to life. It seems it's really just a series of trial and error. Sometimes things work out well and other times we totally miss the mark. One thing's for sure, history and the past can teach us a lot. So how exactly can we learn from history to create a blueprint for life? My name is Ronika Jacobs and you found my podcast, Strive for More, Your Best Life Now. While there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, you've taken the time out to listen to this one. So for that, I would like to say thank you. So without any further delay, let's get to it. Let's strive for more. Don't let history repeat itself. My next guest, John Vespasian, is helping people strive for more through his philosophy of rational living, productiveness, and respect for the individual. He is the author of 11 books, including his most recent release, Asymmetry, the shortcut to success when success seems impossible. He draws the inspiration to share his practical tips by looking at history. In this episode, he will share a few details from his latest book release and discuss how we as a society seem to expect linear behaviors to occur. Hi, John. Welcome. Thank you so much for being a guest on my show. How are you? Hi, Veronica. Thanks for having me on. I'm perfect. Very happy to be on your show. Yes, it's great. So, of course, majority of my listeners are American, and so they probably detect an accent from you. So, John, where are you calling in from? I'm calling from Europe, from the Netherlands today. So you will feel my European accent, but I have to say most of my readers are American, and most of my interviews on radio, podcasts, they're in the U.S., Awesome. All the way from the Netherlands. Yes, it's great. Okay, John, so you have lived, and I know you lived in the Netherlands now, but I know additionally you have lived in many countries around the world. What is the greatest discovery about human behavior and interactions have you figured out? I would say you have to summarize my 11 books in one sentence. Is that you make better decisions if you develop the right intellectual habits. It is not something that you are going to learn in a few days because it's, it takes some work. But if, if you follow a method, for instance, the method I propose in my book, so which is to familiarize yourself with stories of dozens of successful people, to see what very effective individuals are doing in very difficult situations, and you see the patterns of behavior, and you see the patterns of, of thinking, and you see how people react, and they make mistakes, and they learn 
and then they, they change their course of action and they become very successful. If you familiarize yourself with these principles, you will be able to improve your decision making to become also a faster decision maker, which really makes a huge difference in business, in terms of your relationships, in terms of your health. So what I'm doing in my books is basically to try to draw from history, from hundreds and hundreds of biographies in different centuries, different professions, different countries, to try to draw principles that are very practical that you can apply today in the 21st century. So the books are uh, written for people who want to improve their lives in every area, prefer to read about factual recommendations. I don't belong to this current of positive thinking. My books are very low-key. The recommendations I draw from history, they don't require a lot of enthusiasm. They are very practical, very factual, because I have realized by looking at hundreds of biographies that there are very, very few people, in reality, very, very few people who can sustain a highly enthusiastic approach, a very a positive approach. It's very difficult to sustain this mentality when you are facing very difficult problems. The people I like to portray in my books, they are people who go through severe difficulties, illness, bankruptcy, divorce, really people who, who really get fired several times from different jobs. I mean, the kind of people I present, they learn from mistakes, they find what works and what doesn't work. Most of them are very low-key, you will not find many personalities that are super enthusiastic. So I know you said, you mentioned positive thinking. So why, in your opinion, do you believe that wishful thinking is so prevalent in our society? Yeah, precisely because people spend too much time watching entertainment because it's so addictive, it's so compelling. You can watch endless TV series, you can watch Netflix, you can, you can, you can absorb this entertainment. It's, it's very unrealistic. Psychologically, it can be very fulfilling to see these stories. They're, most of them, they're fairy tales. But if you believe the message behind, it's very magical that you just work very hard and then something happens and then you get a break and then, and then you become successful, you might be really doing yourself a disservice. This is why so many people today, they are so depressed. In the U.S., you have about 50 million people taking medication against anxiety and depression. And this is not a coincidence. And I think what is behind this pandemic of depression and anxiety is a very unrealistic philosophy. It's the way people see positive thinking, which can work in, certain, in a certain context, I think is very, very unrealistic and very detrimental. And in my books, I really make this point very strongly. You have to be careful with law of abstraction, positive thinking. You have to be careful how to use that because you might do yourself a lot of harm. Okay. So thank you. So then what is the most constructive way to face difficult situations so you won't cause yourself too much harm? There are different techniques presented in my books. I just have to mention one that is pattern you see, I think, in people who have gone through hell. Can successful in the end after many adventures is the following. You have to see your life as a process, as a progression that is going to last 90 years, 80 years, 90 years, maybe 100 years if you're lucky. Now there are many people who live 95, 96 years. And you have to see your lifespan in this perspective. So when you have a problem and you, you get fired or your business has financial problems, cannot find customers, whatever, when you're going through a problem or a health problem, and then you get back pain or you get migraine or you get whatever, you have to realize that if you have a very short-term orientation, like most people today, 
and you can only think about today or tomorrow or next week, it's very easy to get depressed because then problems become exaggerated. You get the impression that it's very difficult to find a job, that you will never be able to pay your mortgage, that you will never be able to start a new life after divorce. The solution to this attitude is to adopt the most realistic, most, I say, rational, because in my book, I emphasize rationality. And to look at your problems and, and your adversities and your mistakes in terms of a lifetime. When you see that you're going to live normally 85, 80, 90 years, 95 years, the fact that you lost your job last week or your business went south and you lost your savings, it will not matter much when you put it in the perspective of 90 years because eventually you will recover if you continue to work persistently. Eventually you will find a good job. Eventually you will start another business. Uh, this is one of the key lessons I present in my books repeatedly because you see this pattern every time someone really becomes a victim of circumstances. When people think short term, they drown. And when they start to look into the future and they start to think in terms of decades, they become very, very strong psychologically. Okay. So I see that patience is definitely a key in trying to face those difficult situations. So do you think, is it really possible to create opportunities in unpromising situations? I know life can't always be rainbows and roses, right? So, and then you have really great seasons and then you have really bad seasons. So how do you create opportunities in unpromising situations? Yes, my latest book title is Symmetry. I analyze these kind of situations. Uh, Situations where people are at a disadvantage because they've made mistakes, because they fall sick, because they lose the job, whatever. The conclusion after going through dances and dances of biographies is that the best approach when you are in a, in a situation like today, uh, today now we're going to this COVID-19 uh, pandemic, when you're in a situation where we are cannot really advance linearly because the normal progress is blocked by the circumstances. The only way to really recover and to become very, very strong into the next step is to think asymmetrically to take a strategy, to adopt a strategy that allows you to redeploy your resources, your skills, your friendships, whatever, to redeploy what you have in an asymmetric way. You cannot win this kind of games by facing the obstacle directly. You have to proceed indirectly. You have to circumvent the obstacle and you have to take an asymmetric approach. And this is silly said is difficult to implement because most people, when they get blocked in their normal progress, and this is what you mentioned in the introduction, that one of the problems with society today is that people can only think linearly. They can only think A, B, C, D. Life rarely works like this. You're going to have mistakes. You're going to have adversities. You're going to have illness. And history shows that by proceeding asymmetrically, by by doing things that are not in the normal course of events, you can multiply your chances of success. We can go through different examples by presenting the book, but the principle is absolutely not self-evident because when you're watching, I just mentioned TV and Netflix and this series, you see that the message is repeated. You have to try harder. You have to go further. You have to take a step. And this is something that most cases is very unrealistic. This book presents practical lessons for finding shortcuts to a better life and offers solid strategies to bring your results to a higher level. So you already had 10 books out, right? So where did you find the inspiration for this book? I work backwards, if comparable with most authors. 
So let me explain this because it's, it's absolutely not self-evident. I would say when most people want to write a book and you say, okay, I'm going to write a book about, I don't know, dogs, they make an outline and then they start to do research about dogs and then they make chapters and then they write it and eventually they edit it. And I don't work like this. I work backwards. And what I do is that I read it for fine for decades. I'm a voracious reader. I read history. I read marketing. I read personal development. I read literature. So I read all kinds of books. And I take notes. I have a huge amount of material that I'm accumulating basically every, every day or every week. When I finish a book, I just go to my material and I prepare very, very quickly the next book. And I write it. And now I'm writing about one book per year. So it's not that I have to think about what I'm going to do next. Where I, the only thing I have to do is to select a small part of the material I have accumulated in uh, decades of research, and then my book, my next book is ready. So I'm presenting this as, as working backwards because I start with the material. I take stories I know very well. I take stories I research in depth, and then I come up with a concept for the book. Uh, this is how it works. Oh, wonderful. Okay, and so this book is encouraging readers to increase their alertness. How can one do that in everyday life? I mean, how can you be alert every single day all the time? Well, um, when I say alert, I don't mean to be paranoid. I don't mean, I don't mean that you have to be uh, constantly fearing that someone is going to stab you on the back. I mean, it's not what I mean. Alertness in the sense that presented in the book is that unless you start looking at opportunities that are not self-evident, it's very difficult to become better than average. Let me just give you an example from the book. One of the stories I present in the book is a retailer from the beginning of the 20th century. His name was Marshall Field. And this is a typical asymmetric thinker who tried for 20 years to do what everybody else was doing. He was trying to open shops. He had a lot of experience in retail first as an employee, he realized after a lot of trial and error that he could not compete on price. It's very difficult to make money when you're competing only on price. Very difficult to compete if you only compete on location. So in the end, after 20 years of experience, he realized that he had to proceed asymmetrically. And he innovated massively by deciding to concentrate only on a small part of the market. He decided to concentrate on the high-end market. He was the inventor of the no-question-asked refund. He was the inventor of the full-service retail. He was the inventor of guaranteed quality. People could always come back and return the, the products if they didn't like them. He was the inventor of the free samples in retail. I mean, he really innovated because he started to think asymmetrically. And he didn't have massive amount of resources at the beginning. He saved for almost 20 years until he could start his business. But... His ability to use a vision of the market to realize opportunities in a way that the other people were not looking, because 99% of his competitors, they could not see alternatives. Their only alternative was to compete on price. Their only alternative is to open more locations. And most of them went bankrupt. And only Marshall Field made relatively large fortune by thinking asymmetrically. In the book, I also show many examples of people who use zero-cost resources, people who start with absolute zero savings, zero contacts, by using also asymmetric thinking. They are able to put up together very successful businesses. So why does the book emphasize that in order to succeed, one doesn't need to get all elements right? Because I feel like you get successful at times maybe because for once you got the formula right. 
because this is, a, I think this is a message we get from the newspapers, from the stories, because when you read now, you see someone who is successful, you get the impression that people are super clever, they know everything, they do everything perfectly, and it is not true. When you look at the, the problem is, is we don't have the perspective to analyze the story when, when it's something that's happened yesterday. But when I look at stories that happened 50 years ago, 100 years ago, in different countries, different professions, I can't tell you all the details because the stories have been researched from different perspectives. And I have to tell you that from all of them, I never find one which is perfect. People make huge amount of mistakes. For instance, in one of the stories I present in the book is Mozart, who was a great composer. He was a great performer. He was a musical genius, and he barely made any money. He died very young because he was working 18 hours a day, year after year after year, uh, rarely taking a few days of holiday. And eventually he collapsed and he died very young. And he could have made a fortune if he could have decided to focus only on a small market. Because in the time where he lived, we're talking about the 18th century, it was almost impossible to make money competing the way he was doing because he was trying to do everything. As you said, he wanted to be perfect. He was a genius. He was a very good performer. But he was doing too much. He was giving lessons. He was writing music for birthdays and for funerals. Very often he wrote pieces of music that were performed only once. I mean, it was a complete waste of money and the, the, a complete waste of time. And the only big business where he could have made a fortune, and he, he realized only too late, is opera. Opera was the only segment of the market in the 18th century where you could make a fortune. Mozart, he started to write operas and to make money, but he could not bring himself to stop doing everything else. And it's ridiculous that when he was preparing the first, uh, the premiere of Don Giovanni, a very famous opera, he was wasting his time still giving piano lessons for a few dollars. I mean, it's ridiculous. And eventually, of course, the guy, I mean, nobody can sustain this lifestyle of working 18 hours a day. So eventually he collapsed precisely because he was trying to do everything perfectly. He had to realize that by the writing opera, it was not going to be perfect because he didn't have control of the operation. He could only write the music. He could not even write the lyrics because opera, you have to write in Italian because it was an Italian business. Mozart was German speaker, so he had to hire someone to write the lyrics. He hired an Italian professor to write the lyrics for the opera. So eventually he felt he had no control. He felt he could not control the perfection of the business, but still he made a lot of money with operas. And uh, the problem with many people today that are trying to do uh, similar things, they work themselves to death, literally, because they are chasing too many rabbits. They cannot realize that, like Mozart, the only way to move forward with relatively little effort is to find an asymmetric strategy. For Mozart, the asymmetric strategy was not to play music because he could not make money. The market did not allow him to make a substantial amount of money just by performing, even if he was a genius because the money was in the opera. It was not in, do, in giving concerts. Wow. So, John, what encouragement can you give to people as they are navigating life through the ups and downs, through the ebb and flow, the peaks and valleys? What can you say to them to help them continue moving forward? Just a few words of encouragement, but first of all, the recommendation that you should stop listening and believing nonsense. And this is very difficult to do because there are so many pressures. Entertainment is so compelling and it's so easy to get caught a few hours a day and to stop to watch TV all the time. It's very addictive. So, and you, you have to stop doing that. You have to try to move to more rational 
sources of information. Of course, if you can read my books, that would be great. But otherwise, at least try to follow examples of behavior that are productive, that are successful. Because what you are watching on TV or, or if you're reading fiction, most of the fiction today is extremely unrealistic to an extent that I think is almost, almost uh, toxic because people get to develop ideas of expectations that are impossible, completely impossible. And then they crash against the wall and they become depressed, they become anxious, and they become dysfunctional. So try to become a bit more rational. If you can read my books, if you can get familiar with biographies, with principles, with history, with facts, because it's all about facts, you will make better decisions and your progress will be much faster. Wonderful. Wow, John, I could talk to you all day about, you know, striving for more because, you know, of course, that is the title of this show. And I enjoy striving for more myself and helping people strive for more. Okay, now I have one last question. I always like to ask my guests one last question that has nothing to do with the topic that we've been talking about. So my question to you is, what is something you can't seem to do no matter how hard you tried? For me, the challenge is to write faster. Now I'm writing one book per year. It used to take me 12 months to write a book. Now I'm down to 10 months, nine and a half. My ambition is to write faster, to write better. And this is easier said than done because the problem with the writing is not the writing. The problem with the writing is the editing. Because I can write super fast. I can write the book in a couple of months. But then the editorial process takes me half a year because usually I have to rewrite every book four, five, six times until it's the way I like it, which is it flows, it's easy to read, it's attractive. It's, I mean, this takes a lot of work. And I would like to become better. I think I'm becoming better with every book. Every book is easier to read. I think it's a better structure. It's more attractive. But for me, it's a, it's a lifetime uh, process of learning, and I'm trying to improve as fast as I can. But if you ask me about the challenge, this is a challenge. I find it difficult to write, to produce high quality very fast. And my ambition was to be, uh, my ambition is to write several books per year, but I want to maintain the same level of quality. So I have to really become faster. So as you said before, Patience is definitely the key. Well, John, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you. Can you do me a favor? Take the time to let all the listeners know how they can purchase a copy of your latest book. Yeah, all my material, all my information is very, very easy to find. If you type my name, John Vespasian, on Google or any search engine, you will find everything in one second. You'll find the books. They're available on Amazon. They're available in other outlets. There is a blog with hundreds of free articles. There's a free newsletter. It's very, very easy to find everything. Just type John Vespasian on the Internet, and you will find everything in one second. Very, very easy. That's great. Well, John, like I said, I really appreciate you being a guest on my show and sharing your knowledge and expertise with my listeners. I wish you nothing but success in abundance in the future. I'm looking forward to that 12th book coming out perhaps this year. <laughs> you never know. And continue to strive for more and live your best life now. Take care. Remember, no one is perfect. We are all on different quests of achievement and accomplishment. I encourage you to recognize cycles or patterns when you feel you are not making the progress you want to reach in your goal. Sometimes we form habits that create roadblocks for ourselves. Check out my website to purchase any of John's books or the link 
to his website. If you like this podcast, please leave me a review on your favorite podcast player. Continue to strive for more and live your best life now. See you in the next episode.